Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with This is The War Room. My name is Jason Sanchez, and I'm your host. Today's guest is Wes Thomas. He's known as the Iron Fist of the Texas Republican Liberty Caucus of Congressional District 36. Wesley has been active in the Texas RLC for three years. He resides in Liberty County. He is also chairman of the RLC local subchapter for CD36. Wes is passionate about the Christian principles of life, liberty, and property rights. His marriage to his wife, Andy, has lasted for more than a decade. They have four children whom they homeschool. Wes is a software engineer by trade. He owns a business writing custom software. He also enjoys a small-scale farming on a 30-acre homestead. Brother Wes, welcome to the War Room. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Wes, uh, can you let us know how you got involved as a Christian, how you got into politics? You know, a lot of, um, a lot of pulpits, a lot of pastors, a lot of Christians say, you know what, the political sphere is... It has nothing to do with Christianity for the most part. Uh, we're not supposed to try to influence the culture in that respect. All we're supposed to do is preach the gospel. And they differentiate the gospel from any kind of active political uh, influencing that we should be involved in. So as a Christian, how did you become involved in, in politics and, and more so local politics on your behalf? And how did it lead to your idea of bringing forth a legislative priority uh, to the Texas Republican Party to abolish abortion? All right. Well, that's a lot there. But uh, first off, thanks for having me on here. I really appreciate it. And I never, I never really thought that I would actually score an interview with you, to be honest. <laughs> so I just want to say that it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to be here. It's a kind of, a, it's an honor for me. And there's a lot of people that I listen to on, on your interviews that I really respect. And, and so I feel a little bit outclassed, uh, even, even being on here. So I will, I will do my best to answer these questions and, uh, and hopefully it's edifying to everybody that listens. But, um, but yeah, so how did I get involved in politics? Well, it's, it's a long story, uh, but to make it short, even though I know your, your podcasts tend to go long, brother, so I'm, 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 I'm in good company there. Um, you know, we, I, I go to church at a Reformed Baptist church. We're you know, particular Baptists, although we call ourselves Reformed. Mm-hmm. Um, 1689 Confession. And uh, had a had a long journey getting there, uh, and, and just getting there, and then getting involved with the pe- people in the Houston, Greater Houston area. I'm in Liberty County now, uh, but when I first started getting involved in abortion clinic ministry, and we just t- tend to shy away from even calling it clinics, we call it abortion mills. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I got involved through some friends in the area, um, and uh, some friends who are who are now fairly visible in the uh, you know South Texas even even greater Texas abortion mill ministry um, and they did a, they hosted a uh, kind of a get-together at one of my pastor's houses one of my elders in my church and um, and we went there along with a bunch of other people uh, some of whom you've had on on your your podcast before and uh, we all sat down and listened to how they were going about doing this abortion mill ministry um, and me and a, a friend of mine, uh, 
who went to church with us at the time. He's now going. He now goes to a different church because because uh, he has become a Presbyterian outside of a instead of a particular Baptist. But we good, still love him. Good man. We still love. We still love you guys. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no animosity there. I, I used to be a Reformed Presbyterian Baptist brothers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. But we still work together. And so he was there with us, and you know, we just kind of got involved with a local mill ministry. Uh, you know, a bunch of different people from a bunch of different churches, man. I mean, you talk about a an organic movement, if you will, um, just something brought together by God. I mean, no, no churches, any any church in particular, saying, "Okay, we need a bunch of people to come together and do this." It was just Christians saying, "What do we do about this?" Well, I don't know. Let's get together in one of the elders' house and talk about it. Okay, now what? Well, let's go do. Let's go to the. Let's go to the clinic. Here's a bunch of people. Here's what they're doing. Like, look at look at Patty Smith. You know, she's yeah. in Florida. Look at yeah. look at Patty Smith. This is what she's doing. I've been following her for a few months. And look, let's go do this. Mm-hmm. So we just did. We just started doing it. Um, and that was, oh man, this hell's my eldest son. He was sitting in my lap at the time. So this was at least four or five years ago. Maybe maybe like I'm sorry. No, hang on. Three three and a half years ago. So going on four. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a while back, and. Um, and I've slept since then, so I don't quite remember. <laughs> uh, but so we just started doing that. And uh, and then, you know, like I, like I referenced earlier, a friend of mine, Art Cisneros, mm-hmm. um, we, uh, we were really getting involved in a lot of reading and a lot of political discussions and just kind of, I guess, if you want to say coming of age in that sort of, you know, endeavor. I'd always always looked at that as a future thing. Like one day I'll just, I'll be interested in politics. But, at, you know, at that point in my life, my late twenties, you know, mid to late twenties, I wasn't really, you know, caring about politics, but I knew I would someday. But we just started saying, well, what does you know, what does Christianity look like uh, in politics? Why is politics considered so dirty? Uh, does it have to be that way? And how should a Christian behave in politics? You know, we we had a uh, a view of God's law, which says that you know God's God's law speaks to everything and every every aspect and every sphere. Um, and you know the political spectrum, the the civil sphere, if you will, um, it has God has something to say about that. Uh, to say that that God does not get involved or doesn't want us involved in politics is to say, uh, or just another way of saying it is to say that religion should not be involved in politics. Uh, well, since religion, you know, speaks to moral issues, another way of saying that is that well, politics is amoral; it is without morals. Um, and we didn't believe that. We knew that wasn't true because human actions are, are moral or they are not. And so if you're a, a human being involved in politics, then your actions are either moral or they are immoral. Um, there's no more, there's no real middle ground there. And so because they are either moral or amoral, they deal with issues of righteousness and justice and mercy. Um, then God has something to say about that. And so he has something to say to the Christian man and woman who is involved in politics. This is how you should act. Um, whether that be, you know, you should be truthful. Uh, you should be uh, unwilling to accept a bribe. You should fear the Lord. He has things to say about these things. And so we knew that that had to be true. We knew that he had to have something to say about these things. And there was a way that we had to conduct ourselves in that. So, yeah, starting with the abortion mill ministry, getting more heavily involved in the political spectrum, starting active, working on activism, as, as I call it. I, I, I would guess I would call myself more of an activist than anything. I'm not an attorney. I don't have any legal experience outside of just, you know, reading. Right. 
Um, and so that led up to last year, um, you know, I, I guess skipping quite a bit there, but last year, uh, we, we started floating around the idea of, well, you know, Hey, let's, uh, let's create a bill. Let's create a bill that, uh, is a faithful bill with regards to pro-life issues. We, as kind of a group, we had a kind of a core group of a few guys who were in my general vicinity, who, uh, and some, some outside of that, but, uh, who, who had pro a problem with the way the pro-life movement in general, being very general, mm -hmm. um, what, what they would tend to, at least here in Texas, but also nationally, how they would, uh, their strategy, what they would, what tactics they would employ when it came to creating legislation that was designed to, uh, as we saw, get rid of abortion. Like, that's the end goal, right? The pro-life movement should exist to get rid of abortion. Otherwise, what's the point? Right. So we, we, we started down this path of what would it look like if we were to put together what we, would, what we were referring to at the time as a faithful bill, and that should tell you what we thought about the other ones. We did not consider a faithful strategy to... To, to start out with only seeking to save some lives, but not seeking to save all. Now, that's I'm painting with a really broad brush there. I now have a lot of friends who disagree with me on this. And, you know, a lot of them have good intentions. Um, but we wanted a bill that wouldn't seek to regulate murder or not even call it murder. Um, we wanted something that would be able to, that for our consciences, would be satisfied with. And, uh, and so we just started down that, that path of, of, let's call it murder, let's call for it to be completely out, outlawed, uh, let's get rid of it, what are the problems in Texas with doing that? And each state is going to be different. Right. Um, and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I'm convinced that a state strategy is, is definitely the way we should, what we should be pursuing, not just on the abortion issue, but on, on a large spectrum of issues. So, so we started down this road of the bill, and then come February, it just occurred to me out of nowhere, why don't we create a resolution? So for those of you, Jason, perhaps for you, or for, for those who aren't aware of what a resolution is, or why would you even want one, um, a resolution is a statement. It's a, it's a statement of belief. It's a statement of, uh, of, resolu uh, of what you call a resolve. Um, this is what we want to accomplish, something along those lines. And so I just threw together this statement that had five or six, you know, defense statements, which we call the whereas sections, you know, whereas, um, you know, the Republican Party of Platform of Texas states that a, uh, a human life is, uh, begins at conception and should be protected to, to natural death. I mean, that's a great statement of, of pro-life uh, morals, um, you know, whereas our Constitution protects life. Whereas our Texas Penal Code defines murder as including uh, an unborn child, that was it. That was interesting. That was something that we found out during this whole research phase. Was going back over a year, and then coming, you know, rediscovering it again this last few months. Our Penal Code here in Texas uh, does define the murder of unborn children as, uh, or rather, it it defines children as something that is considered a person or an individual. Right. So it actually it gives them all of the rights under the law, and then it takes them away. Yeah. There's there's a, an exception called uh, it's section 19 odd six in our penal code, 
and it says that if uh, it is a murder, but if this murder is committed by the mother or by an abortionist or by a chemical abortifacient, that it doesn't fall under the criminal liability. So it can't be charged as murder. It's still categorized categorically as murder, but it's just there's no criminal or civil penalties. Right. No penal and we were like, yeah, we were, we were floored about that, saying, well, are you kidding me? So we started doing our research on it and, uh, and said, uh, well, this has to go. So that's what the, that's what the resolution, all, all of that background, you know, lead, building up to the idea of let's get this resolution together. And why would you do a resolution? Well, the, you know, federalism starts at the bottom. Every, everything in Texas and, and throughout quite a few states, it is, it does have these remnants of federalism. That's how our system was originally designed. And you can still find it. And it's present in, in the, the local parties. So we have a local Liberty County GOP party, right? right? We have a local Republican party here in Liberty County. And it has precinct chairs. And it has county chairmen. And they can get together and they can do things. And we have conventions every two years. And you can bring forward ideas that you want to see the state party change. And you can pass them in your local precinct conventions, they can move on to your county conventions, and then they can move on to your state convention. And by doing that, you're setting policy for the Republican Party of Texas, which then, in theory, the people who are being elected to hold Republican, who are, who are, who are elected to hold offices and they run under the auspices of the Republican Party, they should adhere to these principles, which begin at the very, very lowest level. Of the of the state, and, and of the state party, mm -hmm. so in theory, this is a great system. This is a system that allows for individuals like myself, living in a in a, a, a population of about seventy five thousand in this county, to actually influence public policy all the way to the state house in Texas, just by typing up a one page piece of paper. So that's that's what we did. That shows the importance of localism and the fact that we can influence those that are closest to us. The fact of the matter is that those in Washington, D.C., and this uh, presidential election and, and, and these elections that have uh, federal implications are really hard to influence, uh, um, like you guys have done at the local level. And so we do need to start from the ground up. It has to be grassroots. It really is how the gospel spread. Uh, if we look right. at the first century church, you know, it started there in Jerusalem and it spread into, into the whole known world. And it has happened from the ground up with, with, with people that were not doctors and lawyers for the most part and uh, uh, politicians, but they were fishermen and, and, uh, and, and tent makers. And so it's good to see this happening. And, and I find it amazing the way the Holy Spirit has been moving in this last year throughout the uh, abolitionism of, of abortion movement. You have your guys' proposal for the, uh, the, um, the, the Texas Republican Party, and then you had in Oklahoma around the same time uh, these brothers putting forth an, a, a bill or an initiative to the uh, representatives to abolish abortion in Oklahoma. And it happened almost around the same time, and it wasn't planned. So the Holy Spirit's moving. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, uh, how, how do we unite for action like you guys did uh, with so many different uh, factions of Christianity? You know, I'm talking about under the umbrella of orthodoxy. We got Reformed Baptists. We got Presbyterians. We got uh, Covenanters, Reconstructionists. Uh, Christian libertarians, how do we unite for action without compromising doctrine? And how did you guys do it? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, I, I tell you this, uh, there is there, you know, as long as we have some overlapping areas of belief, we can, we can unite on those areas. And, uh, as, as you, as you dig in deeper and you start making other alliances with others who are, um, you know, very, very broadly speaking, agree with you on certain issues, um, you can have, you can have a lot of help and you, and you actually need that help. Um, you know, as I got to the state convention, there were people who, who agreed with me 100% on the abortion issues, but if we were to talk about other issues, we might have a lot of problems and a lot of areas of disagreement. So you, you do have to be willing to kind of go after one particular issue at a time, um, kind of move, you know, um, move on that issue for a while and, uh, and, and not and, and kind of settle yourself or resolve yourself to not, not talking about every single issue you believe about leave uh, or what you believe about every single issue that concerns you at every stage of the game. You're never ever going to find unanimous agreement on anything um, with pretty much anybody, let alone a room full of 7,000 people, um, which is the size of the Texas convention. I probably should mention that. That's about 7,000 delegates. Uh, to get together in one room. Now, imagine trying to, I mean, I'll tell you, it's be honest, it took three days to get, you know, 29 people to agree on something, let alone 7,000 people. So, you know, it, you're just never going, don't go in with these kind of rose-colored glasses of thinking that you're going to have this great level of agreement with everybody on your issue, because you might have some agreement on your issue, but you're certainly not going to have agreement on every issue you care about. So, so just, I guess by that, that's my anecdote, that's my, uh, that's my, my principle, if you will. Now let me share a little bit of an anecdote, um, of how we got into contact with another group of folks who we didn't necessarily agree with. Um, but we found a lot of support, mutual support, and mutual, uh, assistance, and then ended up kind of becoming more along the line, their lines <laughs> than we thought we were going to, um, we, we had we had wanted so so being in the abortion mill ministry uh, and s kind of seeing the different factions in that ministry between various methodologies you know at play there you know and being introduced to the ideas of abolition um, and abolitionists and uh, and understanding there was a lot going on there that actually I wasn't really privy to just kind of seeing it from afar and, and and then seeing people espouse some of these beliefs and thinking, okay, well, that's interesting, but I've got other, I've got other work to do. I'm working on my activism on a lot of different issues right now. You know, it's not, it's not time for the abortion issue yet. I'm not really going to get involved in this. But just kind of understanding there being, there was some hubbub about that on the internets, <laughs> but between between different people who, who thought different things, and, and you know, people got hurt and. Right. Got their feelings hurt, and there were lots of arguments. And, and that's a much broader uh, um, movement. I mean, we got uh, yeah. Ar Armenians and Calvinists that are working together. Oh yeah, yeah, within abolitionism, absolutely. Right. But then there's there was other groups that you know, and there, that's that's the great thing about it. I mean, there's so many different groups of people uh, that that work towards this goal, and they all a lot of times believe different things. And yeah. even with that, even within within abolitionism, there's lots of different groups like you were just mentioning. So it's not this big contiguous group. I mean, they're they're united on a particular set of ideological principles, right. um, but it's not one group. Um, and I didn't and I didn't know that honestly. I, I kind of had to learn that. Um, but we got a, we got in contact with this group. We got in contact with Russell Hunter, mm -hmm. 
and uh, and Todd Bullis and uh, Toby and, and a few of the other people. We got in contact with them just completely accidentally. Uh, we were doing our thing in February. I, I did my resolution. Uh, we spread it around as far as we could in the short time that we had. Um, and I'll talk about later where we got the ideas for doing this in the first place. But we were we were spreading this this resolution around, trying to get some. Um, we actually had two resolutions for two different. For, they're both on on abolition of abortion, but from two different ways. One on a federal level, uh, I won't even talk about right now, and then one on a local level. And uh, and so we were spreading these far and wide as fast as we could, but we literally only had about five days from the point of you know conception of the idea to actual execution of the idea by March 1st. Mm. And so we ended up spreading it fairly, fairly wide. They attempted a passage of our resolution in almost 20 different counties throughout Texas with five days of circulation. You got to understand how amazing that is. Yeah, it is. So, so our, all the you know, right away, I knew this was, this was something God was doing. Mm. This was the Holy Spirit moving because pe people were ready for this. And that was, that kind of been my presupposition going into this was like, I know that the people in Texas want this. When they, when they think pro-life, they think, yeah, we want to get rid of abortion. Why wouldn't we want to get rid of abortion? Right. They don't understand a lot of the times what some of the abolitionists are saying. And a lot of the, the uh, we can talk about that later too, the rift within the pro-life movement, which I think is there. That a lot of people who, who aren't in it every day on the front lines necessarily, or, or maybe you know don't know somebody who's in it every day on the front lines, they don't know about this rift. Right. Um, and so, you know, all of this... Um, all this was going on into February. Our resolution was circulating. We were building up to our county conventions, which are March 1st, bet between March 1st and, and March uh, 21st, depending on what county you're in in Texas. There's a little bit of varying depending on you know where, what county you're in because they get to control that themselves. And so all that, all that to say, we, we got about 14 different counties to pass this resolution out. And uh, right around the first week of March, uh, Todd Bullis contacts me through a series of incidents and says, "Hey, man, uh, you know we need to we need to talk." And, and I'll be I'll just be flatly honest here. What 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 happened was um, uh, some abolitionists had gotten on our group uh, that I had created a Facebook group, and I used the word abolish, mm -hmm. or I might have said abol abolition of abortion. It was called abolition of abortion in Texas or abolish abortion in Texas. I had made these different Facebook groups, mm -hmm. and they said, "Oh, great! This is this is an abolition group. Okay, you guys need to do this, this, and this because you're abolitionists." And we we're like, uh, "Wait, no, we're not abolitionists. We just want to abolish abortion. We're pro, you know, pro life. We want to abolish abortion." And uh, there was some there was some hubbub about that, and and I basically came in and said, no, you you know that's not what we're about. We're doing this instead. This is kind of what we're doing—a political movement, et cetera. It's, it's about you know, it's not a society. It's not a local abolition society. It is a movement in Texas. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, Todd and I got connected to that, and he said, hey man, we need to meet. We need to meet. You guys need we need to talk with you guys because. And I said, yes, I want to talk with you guys. I saw what you did in Oklahoma, yeah. which I'd actually seen the week before. And I loved it. It was fantastic. I was watching their videos. Their marketing was spot on. You know, the media was just on point, and it was great. It was better than anything I could ever pull off. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew I wasn't going to have that. And then so we, so man, we ended up we ended up saying, let's go, let's drive to Austin. Let's wait until after our county conventions are over. Let's meet in Austin because I got a buddy who's out there. My attorney is out there. He helped me write these resolutions. We co-authored them together. And uh, let's meet all together in one room and let's talk about what we're going to do. And they said, yeah, that's a great idea. 
you know, we can tell you what we're doing in Oklahoma and you can tell us what you're doing in Texas. And that's kind of what we left it at. So we got together, man, with these guys. It was, uh, it was Russell Hunter and it was Todd Bullis and it was, uh, myself, my friend Bradley, who's my attorney. And then a few other guys, uh, Caleb Head, who's out of Houston. Yeah. My brother was there and a few other guys that will remain nameless who are also very important. Um, and man, we met for 14 hours straight. Amazing. We, we didn't stop talking the entire time we met, we met 14 hours and, uh, there was immediate camaraderie. And at the end of that meeting, um, basically kind of looked at each other and said, well, I guess I think I'm an abolitionist now. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and that's kind of how it happened. And we said, what can we do? Like, here's, they were totally on board with what we were doing. And, you know, during that, during those 14 hours, I mean, we dealt with some really difficult issues. I, I questioned them very, and, and very stringently and saying, Hey, okay, I've heard this, you answered this question for me because I've heard this about you and what you believe. Now you tell me what this is. And they answered my questions, right. they answered them to my satisfaction. And I was happy with what they said. Yeah. Um, and we ended up, we, we just determined that we could work together. There was enough agreement between us. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't agree with them on everything and I still don't. But there was enough agreement between us along certain ideological lines that we could work together and have some unity. Yeah. And, uh, and we just decided to help each other out. And so they, they ended up helping us out with making a pamphlet. So we made a pamphlet. If you go to our website, abolishabortiontx.com, you can see our, our pamphlet that we made, which is very similar to the pamphlet that they were floating around in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They, I believe, dropped uh, 15,000 copies of a pamphlet. 25,000 copies of their card with a logo. And I just really dug what they were doing media-wise and what they were doing from a marketing perspective and said, we need to just adopt that wholesale. Can we do like a Texas logo instead of a Oklahoma logo? And so we did. Our logo is the Mockingbird, which is the state bird of Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also, we also have the Yellow Rose in there for the Yellow Rose of Texas, which has some really great uh, history in Texas. If you go look up the original meaning of the, of the, the Yellow Rose and what, what occurred um, to lead up to that, that song. That's a famous song here. And, but the Mockingbird specifically is known for interposing. Uh, it, it attacks, routinely attacks animals and predators like three or four times larger than itself. Um, and it, it will interpose on behalf of its young. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of meaning to the symbols that we're using and the symbology. And uh, we ended up re- reworking some Texas symbols. Um, we, we reworked the Texas, uh, the Texas state symbol I'm sorry, the Texas State Seal. We reworked that to to have some really cutting imagery, and it's kind of a uh, a very scathing re- critique of of Texas government. And uh, and so that's just kind of how we got involved with these guys. And anecdotally, that's how we were able to work together and yeah. able to help each other. And I, I'll be honest, they did a lot more helping of us than we did of them. <laughs> you know, I I talked to Russell the next day, and he was uh, very very happy about the meeting. I mean, he was jazzed, man. And, uh, and, and that's all that the abolitionists want to do is they want to get together with other Christians who, are, who want to see a, a abortion abolished, and they want to work together. And the fact of the matter is yeah. that, that these guys uh, with Abolish Human Abortion do have uh, the artwork, and they do have the stuff that's already out there. And I think I commend you guys for, for just seeing that and working together yeah. with them and saying, you know what, we're all under one banner, which is, which is Christ's banner, and you guys are doing it effectively. Let's incorporate it. I, I really, I really admire that, and I think that more Christians would be um, should follow suit 
with the way that you guys went about it and, and have united. And it really it makes the army that much bigger. So, yeah. you know, we need to win that, uh, that messaging and media battle. And, uh, and it, takes, it takes a lot of work and effort. Uh, how, how do we win that battle of messaging and media, taking the narrative <laughs> away from the enemies of Christ? Because, you know, the, the enemies of Christ are good at it, too. So yes. we got to be better. That is a great question. And, man, am I the wrong guy to ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm a, I'm a software developer by trade, okay? okay. So I, um, and I've been doing that, man, since high school. I was homeschooled my entire life, never set foot in a government school uh, by, the, by the grace of God. Amen. And I'm really grateful to my parents for that and um, really, obviously, foundational in, in, you know, just totally changing my direction in life. And, um, but, man, I don't have a creative bone in my body. I'm, I'm really great at, at taking something that other people did and modifying that to suit a different purpose or, or, or improving upon it. Which is I, I call myself, yeah, I'm a better, I'm a better administrator and editor than I am a, you know, let's start with zero, you know, a blank canvas and just draw something, right. you know, whether, whether it's conceptually or artistically, either way, I'm better at saying, let's, let's build upon this and make it improve it better. Mm-hmm. I, I like to say I'm, I'm better at complaining and critiquing than I am at actually doing something. <laughs> um, we need really great people. at complaining. We need those people. Yeah, really, I'm super <laughs> great at compl- complaining about yeah. stuff. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> So how do we how do we do this media thing? Oh man, there there are just so many so many other people who are better at this. But I, I tell you this, I can identify it when I see it, mm-hmm. and and what I saw with Russell was just gold. And I man, we talked every day, almost every day for weeks after that meeting, leading up to the May uh, the May meeting, which uh, which ours our state convention. So we had basically about forty five days from our meeting in Austin, which I just talked about earlier, all the way up to our May convention, which was the twelfth. Okay, and that was all. It was a week-long convention, and I was gonna. I moved my family up to Dallas for an entire week. We've been in an apartment for an entire week. My entire family, and we had like a nice war room apartment, if you will, nice. riffing off of your your war room <laughs> stuff there. And uh, and so we were building up to that. Knew it was coming, and said, "Okay, what are we gonna do?" Well, you know, we need ten thousand pamphlets. Well, why do we need ten thousand? I don't know. It seemed like the right number. There were seven thousand people there. Maybe we need more than that. So we just rounded up to ten thousand. We need T-shirts. You know, we need to all have the same logo. I want people to talk about us having no clue what we are. I want them to see, I want them to see that, the, you know, we're, we're maybe going to get 15 people there. We need 30, but maybe 15 will show up. Wow. And I want people to see, um, I mean, literally, we needed 30 people to hand out every pamphlet we have. And the most we ever got in that week was 12 at a time. Mm. And God bless them for showing up. I'm not complaining about that. I'm just saying that's, that's the numbers we had. But what I wanted, what I knew I wanted was when people see that shirt, I want them to think there's a thousand people here with that shirt on. Right. And it worked. It, it absolutely worked. Awesome. When, when pe- people were coming up to us talking about this shirt and there was one day that I didn't wear it and I heard, I, I was talking with somebody else who was telling me about this logo, you know, <laughs> telling me about this bird thing. Um, it was great. And I would, I text Russell and I said, it's working. It's working. <laughs> I mean awesome. that, so you know, like Gideon, you know, they, for whatever reason, we appeared larger than we were. Right. And we knew that going into this, you know, we were going to need the Holy Spirit without Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, you always say that, like, of course you're going to need the Holy Spirit. Everybody understands that, but no, no, really like in the Gideon sense, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. Like there's no possible way we can claim success for this thing. If it works, like it's impossible because we have no people. We have barely funded, 
Um, I mean, all told, it, it cost, I tried to raise three grand for it, okay? Mm-hmm. And we got that. I mean, we basically got exactly what we needed to pay for the pamphlets and pay for the shirts and, and even to pay for some of our food that and water and, and, and stuff like that as we were there. So, I mean, we had like, uh, you know, a shoestring budget, all donations, last minute. I was committed to fund the whole thing if I had to, but, but I knew that I could get people to, 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 to do it. And, and we did. Money came in. A little of time, it came in all the way. We were 100% funded. And, uh, and, and we handed out 7,000 pamphlets. We, you know, we still got 3,000 because we're, you know, we're still going to use them. So, you know, from, from, from a marketing and creative perspective, it's important because what we were handing out, nobody had seen. Like, they knew when they saw that, it was like, wow, these guys have brought their A game. You know, and, and that's exactly, that's the sort of feeling that people had. Like, no, at, at the level we were operating with, at, at, you know, which I'm going to just, you know, fudge and call it government, right? At the government level we were walking, operating at, and it's not really government, it's a private entity, but it's, it's operating as trying to affect policy and affect government policy, et cetera. So I'm going to call it government. No one had ever seen anything like this, right? Like, the most that people will hand out will be like a one-page flyer because nobody reads anything. You know, and, and it's all it's all ignorable. Like everything you get at these things, it's like a mailer that you receive for a political candidate. Like, oh, it's that guy's face again, trash. Right. You know, I mean, no, almost nobody reads these things, but they all get them. So what we were handing out was like a twelve-page pamphlet, and it's wordy, man. It's wordy. You know, we have a few pages that are dedicated to these you know, uh, what I called like impact pages, you know, they're not content pages, but they have big impact. Like one of our pages says, you know, 60,000 children are murdered in Texas every year. That's an impact page because that's all that page. It's in red, it's in blood red, Mm. you know, at the bottom. And you can see this pamphlet at our website, abolishabortiontx.com. On that bottom of that page, you know, there's like a football. It's an embryo being kicked between a, um, an elephant and a donkey, you know, mm-hmm. symbolizing the Republican Party and the and the Democratic Party, you know, making embryos into political footballs. And you can see this embryo move across the sky and slowly turn into a football, right? So that's our impact page. It's blood red, 60,000 babies every year in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and man, people were just floored. Uh, uh, totally floored. They had no idea what they were looking at. They had never seen anything like it. And I got reports from people and I saw people doing this, you know, during, during some of the boring parts of the week where they'd be sitting down, um, you know, they weren't necessarily paying attention to what was going on in front of them. They would just sit there and read this thing for 15 minutes. They'd sit there and read it. And we had a captive audience. And, um, and we simply just didn't have enough people to canvas everybody. I mean, I think maybe we had 60, 70% coverage, maybe, maybe, um, I was, yeah, I was walking into rooms with like holding a fan of pamphlets, like card, like a card deck, <laughs> fanning out my hand and saying, Hey, have you guys seen this? Yeah. And just, and be, I, I still got people saying no at the end of the week, oh, you man. know? So I know that what, you know, who we got in front of was the right people to get in front of. And the media was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. Um, even given the, you know, I, I we worked Russell like a dog and he, a guy worked like a 72 hour shift for us. And then our, our printer was like, the guy was in the hospital, and then he was on the day of printing. I mean, total, total Holy Spirit stuff, right? The Amen. fact that what we got back was even close to what we sent was just a blessing, <laughs> you know? Um, so so I, I hope that anecdote, those series of anecdotes help 
w- with that question. I know I didn't answer it right. I'm sorry. No, no, that was excellent. That was excellent. I mean, those are things that we can emulate in other uh, states and other counties. And, we, and it's going to start happening. It's, there's already movements happening in other states for abolish abortion California, abolish abortion Florida, and, and many, many, many more. And so we'll see those movements growing as time goes on. Um, you, you said that you were, born, you were, you were uh, born into a Christian home. Your parents were Christians all your life. I want to ask you some questions uh, regarding that. Okay. Okay. How, how do we ingrain in our children uh, from a young age a victorious kingdom view of work, society, and the future, you know, a, an optimistic view of the future? And how does that process evolve as they mature? Tell me how it happened with you growing up and then how now you're doing it to your children because we do believe in a multi-generational handing down the oracles of God to our children so that the next generation is in a perfect position to advance the kingdom. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And I I love, before I answer that, I love just seeing how, I'm fascinated with how inter, you know, multi-generational faithfulness and how that works and how you can see it some places and some places you can't see it or you can see it just budding and it's just developing you know but when you find those people you find those families where it's like wow you know four generations of faithfulness that's amazing I want to emulate that you know that's kind of what I look for Um, I look for people that I can be influenced by who um, who have multiple generations of faithfulness Um, I think that's I think that's fruit in my mind um, you know, we have God's word, which is our guide and which gives us, you know, everything we need that the man of God uh, may be fully equipped. Um, but then secondarily to that, we have these preachers and teachers. Um, and we have the families who are faithful that we can use and the ones that have good fruit, we can follow and, and emulate them as well. Uh, and then their, and their you know, subjugation of themselves and their families to, to God. Um, but how do we, so how do we, Ooh, there's a lot there. How do we, so I'll, I'll be honest. So I, I still, I'm not ready to call myself by any particular eschatological position. I, I've, I've always referred to myself, not as a pan millennial, not that I didn't care, but I just wasn't solid enough yet to be able to, to pick a position. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I would call myself non-committed to any particular eschatological position, although there are some that I would not commit to. <laughs> right. So what I, what I grew up with um, was, was, I guess, what you'd call your typical evangelical uh, dispensational hermeneutic. Um, so the way you read the Bible um, is, you know, split between testaments. Um, you have the Old Testament, and that's, you know, law, and then you have the New Testament, and that's grace. And, uh, you know, the law is done away with, and now we're under grace. Uh, when I when I became reformed, um, I started understanding um, what I would, you know, classify, um, I guess, as charitable as, as I can, as uh, the the depth of church history on that that subject, and just being exposed to really kind of for the first time in my mid twenties, early to mid twenties, you know, I, we got married young. I got married when I was twenty. My wife was nineteen. I'm now 33-ish, if I remember correctly. My wife tells me how old I am because I don't recall. Um, so, so, so yeah, just becoming becoming reformed in my mid-20s and then seeing all this church history and going, where has this been all my life? I know what you mean, yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of guys who have the same guys and gals who have the same experience and going, what happened? Like, how did I not get this? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, seeing that and, you know, loving, loving my parents and wanting to respect them the way they do, I do, but then wanting improving upon what even they were able to do and saying, okay, I want this to be incorporated as an improvement upon what my parents did and the yeah. way that they went. I want this to be incorporated in my children's education. This has to be part of it. They have to be able to see these things. Like they need to be able to read the canons of Dort mm -hmm. and understand that every issue between Arminianism, um, you know, between the Articles of Remonstrance and the Articles of Dort, they've been answered before. Like everything that you and I had, every question we had when going from, say, a, a normal mainline Arminian's persuasion to a more reformed per persuasion and that that journey that that happened that most everybody has that story of what that journey is like I mean, maybe maybe some people don't because they just they didn't but but most people that I come in contact with have that journey from from a free will perspective to a sovereignty perspective right. uh, and and knowing that those sort of questions have been answered hundreds and hundreds of years ago was just it just floored me and, um, you know, God gives gifts to the church. This is what I constantly thank him for in, our, in my prayers. And, and thank you so much for the gifts that you give to the church. If God gives teachers and preachers to the church, the live ones, well, why are we not thanking him for the dead ones, too? That's right. I mean, the, if they were teachers and preachers at one point, well, then their work is still valuable if they wrote it down. So why would we, as a, as a Christian society, which is mostly what the way American churches that I've come into contact with in my limited experience, the way they treat it is that's, that's something that we don't even touch. Like people don't even learn that. And I was a homeschooled, um, from the you know ground up Christian and I wasn't exposed to it at all. Mm -hmm. So, so what about those who attend public school and go to a, you know, a big box church or, you know, a big uh, growth model church, are they going to be exposed to this? Not even close. Um, except in some of the most rare circumstances, which are just you know anomalies. But seeing all of that and being exposed to all that, and just realizing that that has to be part of, of my child, my children's education, Lord willing, um, because it's valuable, because it's meaningful. And so, along with that, become coming in contact with all the different you know eschatological positions out there, and just you know again, still kind of remaining uncommitted, but being influenced by a lot of people who. Who are uh, who are postmillennial and, and optimistic and and quite frankly, I've just been too busy doing things to uh, <laughs> and Research. being optimistic. Yeah, I've been I've been too busy being optimistic to uh, to actually take rather, an optimistic position. I'd rather you be that than than just sit behind a book all the time and not be uh, you know active. <laughs> so that's well, I'll, I'll tell you. Let me let me say this about optimism. What I did a few years ago was I went to the Republican convention in Texas, and I saw what happened there. And I saw opportunities, and that was so encouraging and so hopeful to me um, that I said, "This is where we have to be." Right. Like, forget national stuff. Amen. It's gone. Yep. Don't if you if you do not know the name of your sheriff, don't even tell me about who you voted for. That's don't right. even talk to me about it. Don't watch a single debate. It's not worth your time. It is not a good use of your time. Um, unless you know you're you're actually actively working somewhere else, we have got to abandon this nationalism mindset, which we are all 
brought up with and indoctrinated with from birth and not just the people who are in a government school. Um, so we're all, we're all taught this system. And so what gave me hope was seeing localism in action bubbling all the way up from the very bottom to the top. And the top was Texas. <laughs> that was the top. Mm-hmm. And, seeing, and seeing that work. And I thought, man, we can actually do something here. And then seeing the fruit of that being open carry in Texas. So, so when I started a few years ago, open carry was not legal yet here in Texas. We have CHLs, concealed handgun licenses. And I was friends with one of the guys who was one of the main men um, responsible for the open carry passage, uh, the passage of legislation for open carry in Texas. His name is Terry Holcomb. He's, uh, I believe he's the executive director of Texas Carry. And there were other people who were really involved, and I don't, I don't wish to rob them all of credit, but, but Terry was very influential. And uh, what, what they ended up doing was getting this, what they call the legislative priority for constitutional carry here in Texas, which is to say you don't need a license from the government to carry a gun. You should not need that. And the fact that we license it in the first place is, is wrong. We should stop. We should change it. And so he, you know, he did this thing. He did this constitutional carry leg, you know, legislative priority within the Republican Party. I was there. I saw it happen. And then guess what? This January, you know, previous to this, a year ago, I watched it go through the legislative session. I watched him work on this. I watched him get the signatures on this. And boom, I can open carry my gun. I'm doing it right now. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't exactly what we wanted. It's still licensed carry, um, which is not, it's not actually what was asked for. It's not what the people of the Republican Party of Texas demanded that their legislatures do. So technically they disobeyed. Right. Which is, I love putting it in those terms when your legislative right. representatives right. just obey right. you. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, that's a whole episode by itself. It sure is. <laughs> Romans 13 and all. Yeah, yeah. Um, just seeing that in action and going, wow, we should do that for abortion. That, that happened in February or January. Right. It, just, it just, like, Eureka, why, why are we not doing this? Yep. And, and so that's actually the impetus for the whole thing was seeing the open carry movements, what they did mm-hmm. with the legislative priorities, specifically seeing, you know, a guy I, I like to call my mentor, Terry Holcomb, seeing what he did with that, and then a bunch of other people working together with him in that process throughout the Republican Party to the Texas legislature and seeing what happened and saying, wow, this actually worked. I want to try it. And writing the resolution, which I've covered that ground, seeing that be wildly successful and go, well, I guess that means I have to do this. I mean, literally, I, I told my friend the other day, our, our back in February, I said, well, this is kind of a dry run. We'll just see what happens. It's a dry run. You know, dry run. It won't, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, then, and then the other day after it was done, he said, dry run, huh? Yeah. Like, so much for the dry run. It was like, yeah, I, I mean, I just kind of went all in, and it, and it, and it worked. So, right. um, praise God. And well, again, total, totally him. Not ha- you know, not, very little to do with me. Completely full of spirit movements. Right, but, but God, I was reading in uh, uh, the Old Testament reading for, at my church today, on Deuteronomy chapter 9, and it talks about God is the one that brings down your enemies. But That's right. he, he does it through his people. And so it is God's sovereign hand doing these things and these things, but he does it through the great exploits of his people that are Holy Spirit produced in them. And in uh, the power of action, it also produces more action. And so when you have 
the man that you were talking about that uh, you, you, you went to the convention, convention and you saw him uh, passing the, the, uh, the law on, on, on uh, concealed carry, it produces right. it's produced more action in you. And so these are little seeds that are being planted. And, and as Christians, we're supposed to be gardeners and we're supposed to be spreading seeds everywhere we go. And even with that one meeting that happened at your pastor's house with the abolitionist, look, what, look what's come of it. I mean, that's just one little seed that sprouted. And, and that's why I, I am a post-millennialist, because that mustard seed, the smallest of seeds, when it's planted, it grows to be the biggest tree that there is where all the birds flock under it for shade. And right. that's, the way the, that's the way the Holy Spirit moves. That's the way God moves. He does move through our armies of Gideon-sized armies, and, and they produce much for the kingdom. Let me, right. let me ask you a question. You, you're talking about concealed carry, talking about de- uh, self-defense and defense of our neighbor. How do you think we can uh, be a body that mobilizes as one man when our neighbor is being threatened, assaulted, or denied justice? What are some practical steps that we could do in our local areas, you know, through our churches, uh, through our, 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 our friendships? How can we protect one's neighbor? Oh, you know, that was actually one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why we began this. Um, and, and then description just came to mind as you were talking. Woe to those who neglect justice and mercy. Um, that, was, that was a theme for this abolition movement here in Texas, uh, or this abolish abortion in Texas movement thing, was woe to those who neglect justice and mercy. You know, I, got, I got the privilege of standing up in front of a bunch of room full of people and telling them that saying, you know, woe, woe to us if we neglect justice and mercy, right? But that's, that's, that's ultimately what it's about, you know, how, you know, it, when it occurred to us, uh, and by us, I mean, you know, kind of my core group of political junkies here in Liberty County, that, um, you know, a county clerk's office is really important. You know why it's important? Um, it's important because it deals with issues of morality. But what sort of issues of morality does a county clerk have to deal with? Well, they're the ones that actually pull records uh, when uh, for court cases. Um, so if, uh, if a judge or an attorney asks for records for a criminal in your area and they pull the wrong file um, or they pull files that are uh, old or they want to be malicious, um, they can send people to jail. So you want to tell me that a county clerk's office is not important or can't, has, it's a-religious? It has nothing to do with morality? Well, I'm sorry, I, I just can't buy that. Every office, even to the, even a, a, a quote-unquote lowest office, you know, not in importance, but just in um, hierarchy, right. uh, even the lowest office is important. And, and issues of morality are dealt with at every level. You know, being someone who who establishes justice by saying, you know what, the thing that I've been asked to do and been tasked with doing, pulling this person's records. You I know, mean, if I do this incorrectly, I could send this person to jail. I could ruin this person's life. So, I need to do my do my best. You know, do the best job possible. I certainly don't want to be malicious about it. I I want to be, I want to honor God in my actions. I want to tell truth. Um, I want to do everything to the best of my ability, et cetera. All of these things are important, even at an office like that. Mm-hmm. Now, now think about other more, quote-unquote, more important offices like judge, 
you know, sheriff. Um, all of these offices are extremely important in um, in seeing that righteousness is being done to your neighbor when it comes to the way his local government treats him. And, you know, kind of taking that now into the individual realm and the individual sphere, the I guess the family sphere, if you want to call it that, as well. So both individual and family. You know, the way we treat each other, the way we treat our neighbors, the way our families treat each other, you know, one family treats their neighboring family. It's important. It comes down to how they vote for because if they vote for a guy who's going to, if you vote for a guy, a sheriff, who's going to actually attack your neighbor or is going to um, not give your neighbor justice the way God defines it, then you're actually voting for someone and supporting someone who is spreading unrighteousness and who is spreading injustice or perpetuating it. And at that point, they are doing something that um, they're acting like an enemy of God at that point. Right. Um, they are sinning in that action. And you know what? It may be a, sinning, a sin that they're doing and they don't even know about it. Mm -hmm. They don't even know they're sinning. Whether it be the person you know, who's operating in the office of sheriff or the person who supported that person in the office of sheriff by their vote or by their giving their money to help this candidate win that office. So all of these things are relevant when it comes to how we love our neighbor. Um, love is a fulfillment of the law, right? Mm -hmm. So the way, we, the way we treat our neighbor, when we say that we just need to love each other, that's, you know, we don't need to adhere to these these oppressive laws. We just have to love each other. Well, that, that is adhering to these laws. Right. And God's law is not oppressive. It is the standard for righteousness and liberty and justice. Um, and so in order to properly love our neighbor in the way that God says we should and we, that, we would, that we will want to when we become Christians, um, Christians want to love their neighbors in the right way. Now, they don't necessarily know how to do that, but they should want to do it. Uh, God gives us that standard in his word. And uh, and that that extends that extends all the way into the civil realm as well. Right, right. That's a great answer. And uh, I do believe that the office of sheriff is extremely important. It may be the most important office that we could vote for because they have the power within our local uh, spheres to to push back and be the, the lesser magistrate against the usurpers that are trying to uh, push down on us and put some unjust laws such as abortion if we have a good strong yeah. sheriff in a county he could say no we will not allow abortions here in this county and you don't have jurisdiction to tell me what to do and uh, from there you know whatever they want to do the balls in their court right but I think we need to start trying to influence uh, those seats I, I agree the office of sheriff is uh, is one of the offices that I'm, I'm very concerned with um, as, as, as in it's on my radar and uh, I, I support my local sheriff here. He's a good man, and uh, you know I, I want to influence him. I want him to, you know, I've, I've shared books with him. We talk about things. Um, everybody, that that would be a that would be something that you should do, even if you're not going to consider yourself a political junkie or an activist like like I do. <laughs> you know, everybody's got their hobbies, uh, but you know, if it, at the very least, you need to get you need to get in contact with your local sheriff. Um, I've been able to influence several of my friends who, who really aren't politically active to, um, to, to at, at the very least, you need to get in contact with your sheriff 
I mean, just to just give you a very practical outworking of why you need to know your sheriff. Um, you know, they're they're making volleys towards drafting uh, your daughters into the mm. military. So who are you going to call when you get a letter in the mail that says that your daughter needs to sign up for selective service? Now, I hear a lot of chest thumping and a lot of bravado about how that'll never happen here over my dead body and they're going to have to shoot me. And you know what? Amen to that. Mm -hmm. But who are you going to call to stand in front of your door? Who are you going to call? I'm not calling my sheriff, the one that's there now. I'll tell you that. Well, that, it's, it's good that you know that, brother, but there's yeah. a lot of people who can't even name their sheriff. Right. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. Because that's the guy that you want to call and say, you know, I just got this letter. It's not going to happen. And he goes, you're, you know, dadgum right, it's not going to happen. That's right. And, and when it does try to happen, him and a bunch of his men are going to stand in front of your door and not allow it to happen. That's how it needs to work. Right. right. Um, and there are, there are counties where it works that way. Um, and there are counties uh, where you do have uh, sheriffs who are acting in godly ways and protecting their citizens, uh, you know, the citizens under their jurisdictions, from an overreaching federal bureaucracy embodied by the FDA, uh, you know, which tries to tell them that they can't, you know, uh, they cannot have animals which eat grass and then produce milk that can't be sold, right? because that's uh, apparently dangerous. Um, the way God designed it to work, it's dangerous. And, and so these sheriffs are interposing themselves in front of, uh, you know, the bully, which is the FDA, and saying, yeah, you know, we're not, you're harassing my people, you know. We kind of suffered through it, you know, we kind of gave you our pound of flesh, and we said, yeah, yeah, we're going to comply, but you know what, we're done with that. You need to, you need to back off. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it's working. It, there are counties in which that has worked. And so, you know, our, our belief here uh, is that, you know, in a lot of ways, the federal behemoth, uh, the beast, if you will, he's just a big bully. And what do you do with a bully? Well, you punch him in the nose. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of our actions are kind of geared towards how do we punch the beast in the nose? And, uh, and so a lot of what we want to do is punch the beast in the nose. And, and you know what? You've got you to gotta have a good share for that. Yeah. You got to have good local judges, and you got to have good uh, county commissioners, and you got to have a good county clerk, and uh, then you got to start looking outside outside your county into the state level. And so, those are things that you can start focusing on now. Um, it's, it'll be a little easier if you're in a rural area uh, with lower population, uh, or maybe some more like-minded people. You know, as you start to get to the urban areas, it's a little bit more pulverized, a little bit more dense in population, a little bit harder to do. Uh, a little bit more, uh, um, the population is going to be a little bit less Christian in ethic, culturally Christian, less culturally Christian than the rural areas. Um, but you got to start doing it. Right. Yeah. We, we need more men in law enforcement like Chet Gallagher, uh, the Nevada Highway Patrolman, who did interpose for the unborn. And he was arrested and he was uh, removed from his, his uh, position as a, as a highway patrolman. I want to see some sheriffs. I want to see some law, local law enforcement stand up for the unborn instead of uh, coming out to the abortion mills and having to uh, respond to a call that, you know, maybe we're being a little too loud when we're calling the women to repent or whatever it may be. Right. I want to see that happen. I, I mean, it's good, it's good that they're standing in the gap and, and standing up for farmers. I want them to see, I want to see them stand up to the, for, for the least of, a, of us. Yeah. The, I mean, they're, they, so far, a lot of the local police departments when it comes to mill interaction have been really good at straining at the gnats. Right. 
um, but we really would love to find one that is willing to to attack the camel, if you will, to mix my metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of my one of my projects that I that I'm I'm doing here locally is uh, I'd like to make contact with every sheriff in Texas and send them a copy of uh, Doctrine of Lesser Magistrate. And uh, I'm on my second box of those books, by the way. Those nice. books. You need to. Yeah. One thing that we can all do. Uh, anybody who's listening here is contact Matt Trewello and say, "Brother, I would like to buy a box of your books," and uh, then send him a, a sizable donation and buy a box of those books, and then write a letter. Uh, go to your uh, go to your state's website. Go find a list of all of your uh, county sheriffs, or if you would like uh, your your judges, find a list of all your judges, find their address, and mail them a copy of that with a cover letter. Not too wordy, just something that says, "Hey, I, you know, I thought this would be a good book. It's going to be really important. You could reference current events, like uh, you could talk about interposition, like interposing on behalf of Second Amendment rights, very, very popular, or uh, you know, interposing on behalf of marriage issues. Uh, there's, there's just tons of fodder out there. I mean, the, I'll say this about the federal government: we all agree that they're tyrannical. Very few people." say what they're doing is fantastic. There are very few people who, who defend them. But I'll tell you what, it's polarizing. And so, yes, they're horrible. But man, are they really great for rallying people to your cause. <laughs> yeah, you're right about <laughs> because that. Because it, it gives you it gives you a kind of a common enemy to point to and say, look at what they're doing. Look at that. We don't want that to happen here, and it has to begin here. We have to clean up our act here. You cannot clean up the federal debt if your county is $90 million in debt. Mm. Right? Right. In my county, my county with a population of seventy-five thousand people is way more than ninety million dollars in debt. It's millions of dollars in debt through all the various ISDs and all the various county projects. It's millions and millions of dollars in debt. But yet, we want to stand up and complain about the federal behemoth being in, in debt. Yeah, there's one kind of home. That's right. So we have a lot to work on here. We have a lot to work on in our own state. That's where we need to begin. Um, and and when it comes to, I got to say this before we end. Because this was this is one of our main talking points that we got to get across is when it comes to these federal issues, what we're looking for people is to defy the federal courts. When when we must obey God rather than men. Amen. So when when men come to us wearing black robes and they tell us that we need to fear them, we need to say no. We don't fear the men in black robe, black robes. We fear the man in white robes. Amen. That's who we need to fear. And when he tells us that thou shalt not murder, um, then, then we have to say, okay, we're not going to do that. And you know what? Our state's not going to do it, and our county's not going to do it. And, you know, that, that all of these things are interwoven. You know, if your county has debt or your county receives funding from the state or your state receives funding from the federal government, which guess what? I got news for you. Every county, every ISD, every state, they all receive it. When it comes to saying no to the federal government and saying no, we're going to obey God rather than men. That's good. That becomes very costly for us. Mm. That's because we are we are in bed with them financially, and so part of it part of this is getting out of bed with them financially and saying no to the federal funds and saying no to those state funds. Uh, go. I encourage all of you to go look up your your local ISD. Go look up if you can find it. Uh, find their budget and find out where their funding sources come from. I would bet you dollars to donuts that 20% of that comes from the feds. So how are you going to convince them to say no um, to the federal bribe um, that comes to your, your ISD 
uh, in the form of 20% of their, their federal budget so they can build nice schools and have big education centers uh, that teach uh, non-Christian doctrines. Um, how are you going to convince them to say no to that money so they can, they can also say no to the abortion clinic that they want to get rid of, right? right. They're tied together. They're absolutely tied together. So all of these things are important, but uh, the most thing is to most important thing. What you said earlier reminded me. You said about you know sowing the seeds and, and being ready to to uh, to work what you've been given. That is extremely important. Work what you've been given. Right. Plow your own row. Um, you know, set set your hand to the plow. Don't look back. Uh, you are prepping ground for your children. Um, you're not going to necessarily be success. Not everybody's going to be successful in what they work at, but they're going to at least till the ground up, and hopefully somebody behind them can come and plant um, some plants, some water, some till. Um, but but the you know it's the Lord that brings the harvest. So Amen. you know everyone it, it, to to give you another metaphor. I love these metaphors. You know we, we're it, you know it's like it's like D Day, right? We we know that we know that we're advancing. We know now when we look at D-Day, we know that we, we're, we won, right? But if you're that guy who's on the beach <laughs> that first day and you, and you hear the news that, you know, you need to, you need to advance and you're going to win. Uh, I believe this is a Doug Wilson analogy, if I remember correctly. I think he told this story. I'm, I'm going to butcher it, though. It's a great, it's a great story. Um, you know, you get that letter that says, you know, you're going to invade Berlin. But you're like, I'm on the beach. How am I going to? How am I going to invade? You don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know that you're going to have the victory. But here's the deal. We do know that we're going to have the victory. Amen. Because we already know what's going to happen. So, soldier, pick up your gun and charge. That's our, that's our call. Pick up your gun and charge. Right. So go, go find your place to work and take that hill, man. Take that hill. Yep. And one practical thing you just said with that, that is really good advice is, get some of those books and the AHA, AHA has a uh, higher law pamphlets as well and uh, you can go to Defy Tyrants for the books and get, get in contact with Matt Trujillo and start mailing them out to local law enforcement and, and, uh, and politicians because yeah. you know in California uh, I try to hand them out when they come to the mill and they, they're not allowed to take them but that's a great idea we can actually mail them to the police department and yeah. somebody, somebody's going to read them and it's, and it's planting seeds and we need to do it far and wide and scatter those seeds everywhere and the Holy Spirit will bring forth the increase. Wes, That's uh, right. thank you for joining me in the war room, brother. It's been it's been an excellent dialogue. I, I know there's much to glean from here for the listeners. Tell us how people can get in contact with you. Any websites you want to point to? Yeah, sure. Uh, AbolishAbortionTX.com. Uh, we don't currently have a contact form on there, but I guess I got to add one now. Yeah. Uh, but if you really want to get in contact with it right, right now, go to Facebook and look us up. Abolish abortion in Texas. There's a public Facebook group. Uh, I'm sorry, public Facebook community page. You can message the page. We even got a, a, a private group on there called Abolish Abortion in Texas group. So search either of those out. You know, like us on Facebook and then chat with us directly there. And what about for people locally? Uh, what about the Republican Liberty Caucus uh, Congressional yeah. District 36? Is there a website? Yeah, uh, it is. Not on the tip of my tongue. I believe it's RLC of CD36.org. I believe that's it. If that's not it, I have to go buy that now. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes, and uh, we'll make sure we have the right ones in there. Well, brother, thank you for joining us, and uh, God bless you. Yeah, thanks, brother. Good to talk with you. 
Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Why do the nations rage? Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete weekly lineup of eight distinct podcasts. Starting on Sunday, setting the record straight with pastors Gordon Runyon, Jason Garwood, and Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Mondays, the Post Mill Report with Nathan F. Conkey. Tuesdays, Acts to the Root with Bojidar Marinov. Wednesdays, the Hellraiser Report with Scott Allen Buss. Thursdays, the War Room with Bill Evans and Jason Sanchez. Fridays, Once Dead, where Christians give testimonies of God's grace upon their lives. And Saturdays, Restoring America One County at a Time Lectures with Joel McDermott. And our new podcast, No Neutrality, with various contributors. Please don't forget to subscribe to each individual podcast or... The Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where you will get all of the content we produce, including our free audiobooks. Don't forget to go to reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator and to partner with us financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.